1: Welcome back to another episode of New Books in Japanese Studies, a podcast channel of the New Books Network. I am Jingyi Lee from the University of Arizona. Today, our guest is Dr. Gabriela Lukacs, Professor of uh, Anthropology at the University of Pittsburgh. Her new book, Invisibility by Design, Women and Labor in Japan's Digital Economy, was published by Duke University Press earlier this year. This book examines the relationship between young women and digital economy in contemporary Japan. In particular, it will focus on the inequalities born in the development of such a high-speed growth of digital economy. Welcome, Gabby. Thank you so much for being with us today.
0: Thank you so much for inviting me. I very much appreciate the opportunity.
1: Thank you. So Japan's cute culture has recently become a quite heated topic in academic studies of contemporary Japan. What specific aspects of it drew you into this project? That's actually how the project started.
0: Um the first chapter was uh about net idols and it ended up then being the second chapter but that was the very first project or um very first topic that drew me to this um, to this study to this research project about Japan's digital economy and women's place in it so originally cute culture was uh, a subculture that young women developed in the 80s but by let's say the mid uh, to late 90s um, cute had grown into a, a lucrative global commodity and examples include sailor Moon and uh, Pokemon that Anne Allison wrote about, and or Hello Kitty that uh, Cristiano uh, wrote a book about, which which are all great um, great studies of of cute uh, culture in Japan. But it was in addition to these studies, it was Sharon Kinsella's um, article about cute culture that was that came out in an edited volume in the nineties that that kind of made me think about um cute culture that was that inspired me to a little bit look more into um how young women um harness cute culture to develop um do yourself careers in uh, japan's emerging digital economy and in reading um sharon Kinsella's essays what interested me was um the emphasis on this contradiction that the production is cute on one hand is uh, this project of empowerment while on the other as a behave as a particular behavior or disposition or aesthetic sensibility it's uh, it signifies vulnerability submissiveness and even silliness so there's a the kind of a contradiction between these two um, approaches to cute culture. And my chapter on net idols uh, aim to unpack this contradiction and think how women um, strive to extract value from something that in the end ends up re-anchoring them to um, a gender division, division of labor within which their opportunities are limited and often their autonomy is curtailed. So if I don't want to be crude, but what, what I mean is something like, um, you know, adopting cute behaviors and cute looks helps women to get ahead, but it also sets limits uh, uh, to them and reconnects them to to disenfranchisement and and what we could um, what we could theorize or conceptualize as a as a highly gender stratified um, labor market in Japan so
1: that is what I was thinking about that's uh, I'm really glad uh you are writing you wrote this book um at this time because recently I see a lot of media representations especially in Hollywood movies um mm-hmm. trying to kind of capture this cuteness uh Japanese style cuteness but I think I think Hollywood is getting it all wrong <laughs> um so I'm really glad that you are ready. You wrote a book to talk about this issue. Um, and although we can see representation of Japan as a high-tech country in Western media, the history of it may not be familiar, a familiar topic to many. So can you talk about the background of Japan's rapid digital media growth and its social cultural context? Absolutely. So Japan... For a long time, Japan was ahead of
0: the United States in developing mobile phones. Um, and it's indeed curious. This is something that I've been long thinking about and thinking about. right thinking of writing about. I will probably never do it, but uh, it's still. I think it's a good. It would be a good project. That why Japanese producers of consumer electronics like uh, Sony, Panasonic, Fujitsu or Kyocera did not become global producers of cell phones like Samsung or, or, or Apple. Uh, Apple did. Um, because, as I explain in the book, uh, Japan was ahead of most capitalist countries, advanced capitalist countries, in developing mobile internet services. Um, because, and it has a lot to do with um, life in a large city like Tokyo, where there are 14 million people and um a lot of people spend an average of two hours commuting a day. So mobile internet service um services uh, uh, helped um deal with the tedium of of commuting, right? In uh, in a large city like Tokyo. So in nineteen uh ninety three, NTT Docomo introduced um uh, the personal digital cellular system. And in 1999, Entity launched iMode, uh, which were all uh, commercial internet, uh, which was an internet of, uh, excuse me, which was a commercial internet service that used uh, cellular phones as terminals. And then other providers like KDDI and Jphone also started offering similar services so i think the main point here is that um in japan internet use was mobile right and then that it, then then the u.s was ahead of the uh, ahead of the uh, uh the united states for instance and many other advanced capitalist countries in developing internet services for mobile internet services or offering uh, mobile internet services and perhaps another um unique aspect of uh japan's cell phone culture that is worth mentioning because one of the chapters is about cell phone novels is that um in japan of um, i don't i don't i'm not sure whether that's still true but in japan the uh the cell phone was perceived for a very long time as a kind of, as an intimate medium and uh it also accelerated the commercialization of the internet because they unlike uh, personal computers that are that might be shared or they're personal but computers are more likely to be shared than than cell phones right which meant that identification the cell phone as a as a medium itself made identification easier and that that kind of helped commercialize the internet in japan and maybe the third one is that in um what i understand from colleagues work is that Uh, young people often use their cell phones more as a, as a texting device rather than like to access the internet and to text rather than as a phone. Um, And it's not uh, so much that they create new relationships, but they use it as, as, uh, as a, as a technology to maintain existing relationships, so they exchange, they exchange texts with um, three, five friends and their family members. So I think these are these are the the, the aspects that are relevant to um to to my to, to the arguments I make in the book. But please feel free to ask additional questions if uh, I didn't answer the ones that that I no, that you that's asked.
1: Very interesting. I mean, now that mm-hmm. you mentioned, I can't even remember when was the last time I had a phone call with my friend. I guess um, using phone as intimate media for texting alone is is yeah. um, not just a Japanese thing anymore. But yeah. uh, to return to the book, in what yeah. way were women involved in this digital activity, yeah. this digital labor?
0: So the argument I make in the book is that in Japan, the digital economy was built on women's uncompensated labor. Or in other words, women's uncompensated, unpaid labor was essential to developing and expanding the Japanese economy. I mentioned earlier that Japan, um, Japan's labor market is gender stratified, which means that during the post-war period, uh, gender served as a readily um, available criterion by which a reserve of unskilled labor could be maintained or shut down as uh, business cycles fluctuated. And um, Japan had a system of job security called the system of lifetime employment, but it started um, eroding in the 90s, and women were excluded from this system um, anyway. So in this context, uh, as the digital economy started um, emerging, um, a lot of women who did not find mean, word that they perceive as meaningful in the traditional labor market Turn to the digital economy to develop um, what I call DIY couriers. Couriers that often, before they, stab- they developed them, they didn't even exist. Um, and uh, there are examples in the book. Um, yeah.
1: Great. Right. And I guess we can jump into the, the, these examples now. Mm-hmm. Um. In the first chapter, you talk about female photographers' participation in digital economy and how they actually suffered from yeah. such participation. Now, why is that? Why did they mm-hmm. suffer? Yes, and and this
0: is a story that it, that it then is then it, it is repeated in the context of the of the net idol phenomenon in many ways. So the uh the the women women photographers preceded the emergence of uh, japan's digital economy because the ones i analyzed started their careers in the early 90s yes which was before before the internet the internet uh was mainstream by the late 90s in japan like the first time i went to japan was 95 and i still remember like the blue screens like you had to go to the university to access your email and and um yeah, so that still, so really the point, I think what's important here is, is that um, photographers, uh, the argument I make in the book that women photographers paved the way to the net idol trend um, that I analyzed in chapter two, who then catalyzed the development of social media and blogging platforms. So that's kind of the trajectory of of how the, how the uh, uh, the internet uh, evol- evolved or w- what the role of women was in the development of the internet. So the commonality between women um, photographers and net idols is the engagement with cute culture, which is most often also uh, a reflection, a critical reflection of uh, uh, on cute culture. Um, so what women photographers, many women photographers did was that they took pictures of flowers like Ninagawa Mika or they cute girlfriends uh, or cats. Um, but these pictures prompted photography critics to be dismissive and to not take them seriously. And um, at best, um, what they came up with, and I'm thinking of people like Izawa Kotaro who came up with this idea that, oh, well, um, perhaps it's a particular genre of photography, which he called um, girly photography. But this concept itself was something that robbed a lot of these women the wrong way. They thought it was dismissive and paternalizing. But to return to the commonality between um, photographers and net idols, um, many... Um, photographers produced, for instance, they produced nude or semi-nude self-portraits, which is a popular genre within photography. And uh, women said that they they took pictures of themselves um, as a means of self-exploration, but also because they did not have access to uh, models like um, you know men photographers did, who often. Um, it, Worked with models who wanted to be photographers so who simply just volunteered their free labor so that they would be able to learn from from the master or whatever whatever however we describe it. But often, so when when asked women about women photographers about why they took semi nude or nude pictures of themselves, they said, "Well, if I had models, I would have taken pictures of them, but I just didn't have access to them." And then it was also a means of self exploration. But what's interesting is that critiques um do not see these projects as projects of self-exploration uh, or uh, as a critical involvement uh, involvement or critical reflection on representation and how women are represented are photographed and objectified and the male gaze and all that. That's not the way uh, critics saw these pictures. They simply looked at them and they thought, well, these are uh, semi-nude gravure uh, or grabbia um, Photos that you can see in the uh, in the in in men's mag- magazines, and also they were dismissive, thinking and saying that uh, these women were exhibitionists. So they some they did not understand what uh, what women were trying to do, and um, and that that was tricky because um, because. So the argument I make I make in the chapter is that um, although women uh, started um, their careers by um, doing taking pictures that could be understood as girly or that 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 kind of could be seen as endorsing a particular cute sensibility or a particular aesthetic sensibility that you 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 could describe as cute. At the same time, many of them developed their own uh, styles and uh, their own kind of genres, but um, photography critics didn't see them, which then did not help women to um, uh, develop careers as, as uh as professional photographers so that kind of limited their opportunities of what they could do because um, that's kind of a question to me like why Nina Gavamika who was very famous at this point probably worked famous um, kept shooting pictures of, of, of flowers for so long I don't know if this answers your question please um, feel free to follow up and then I uh, I'll elaborate on whatever else is
1: yeah, hands, uh, right. yeah, it it does, and I want to tie this to your next chapter, which talks about net netto idol mm-hmm. or net mm-hmm. idol, um, yeah. internet idols. Um, as you said, these female photographers' participation online really um kind of what could be considered as the precedent of net idol, the I- net idol industry. Yeah. Now that we have numerous net idol groups whether mm. publicly or underground it has become mm. such a huge industry um and so complicated that it's beyond just cute girls singing and dancing anymore we have all these um you know like the AKB48 all the right. voting system or the election system so what changes have happened from the first appearance of Net Idol? And what do they tell us about the social changes that has that have happened in Japan in general? It's a really good question, but
0: also a difficult one. Um, so the connection between cuteness and women's celebrities, of course, precedes the Net Idol phenomenon. Like We know that. Uh, that's That's no news. And Net Idols were micro celebrities right which is a form of idol status that the digital economy uh, made possible uh, so in the context of analog, analog media there's also a push um, to produce idols that are more accessible and you mentioned akb 48 which is an excellent example there's a great volume about this by jason carlin and 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 pat galbraith right like this idea that to produce this idol group that 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 is that is more accessible than mainstream celebrities who um who produced and who 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 produced in ways that 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 there's really no connection between them and fans anymore because um their work condition labor conditions are such and i'm thinking of something like SMAP that uh this boy band that that disbanded a few years ago but but uh was um what like Smap started in the eighties? Actually, I don't a long time ago. What was it, late eighties or something like that? And and you know they they were they were uh, idols who literally would show up uh on television every day, but with that schedule you can't cultivate relationships with fans. So there's like uh, the, the really the point. I'm sorry I'm belaboring it a little too much, but what I'm trying to say is. That there's a push in the analog media industries to to customize that kind of relationship a little bit between fans and and idols and and net idols um try to um capture that niche like what I say in the in the chapter is that they were what the Japanese call Bokudake no Aideru or this that that they are only my idols, which wasn't true, but but on average Net Idol had about 30 fans. And that was um that was um manageable in terms of exchanging emails with them every day and remembering their birthdays and it's like cultivating relationships with them. Um, so I'm thinking um it was still an awful lot of work for net idols because most of them had full-time jobs. So they often complained that they would get home after a full time, uh, after a full day's work. And then they had 30 emails to respond to. But um, in terms of, um, so I wonder if it's a social trend or, or more like an economic trend, which is um, a growing demand for customization in general, um, in the service industries and also in the media industries, which is a little bit more difficult in Japan, right? Because television is still um, domestically produced for domestic audiences, and it's still a mass medium. Uh, but but exactly because of that, um, the digital economy was able to capture a kind of a particular niche that, you know, people who uh, were more interested in getting some, response than uh, cultivating a relationship with someone who who they could never never reach or never actually talk to. And I'm thinking also about meat cafes and Gabriel's wonderful uh, book about about meat cafes, like this idea that that you know, why Otaku go to meat cafes. So you were asking me about the trends and, and I'm wondering if it's a social or an economic trend. Um but the social aspect of it is definitely women's marginalization from employment that they see as meaningful and that they see as a, as a source of uh, personal growth. So these women were, um, who were not optimistic about their job prospects or, or, or they were frustrated with their, with their jobs learned some basic coding and created their own websites and um, they learned to produce content. And they became photographers inspired by the girly photographers, or some of them uh, became
1: poets.
0: I analyzed in the chapter a photographer and uh, two net idols in in more in-depth. One of them became a poet, the other became uh, a photographer and a phototherapist. And um, and they paved the way, the so net idols paved the way to the... Uh, to the development of uh social media social media uh, platforms and also blogging platforms so it, it, originally they they used um what's called Nikki title or diary diary platforms but some of them um learned some basic coding to create their own websites but, but the more and more of them uh, started doing this that kind of inspired entrepreneurs to um Develop platforms around the activities of these women, invite them there, and then develop uh, practices of selling advertising online. So that was the banner advertising at that point.
1: So is this what you argue about how digital economy grows to exploit human capital? That's right. So the human capital, yes,
0: that's slightly. That's yes, yes, and no. Um, because uh, so what I'm what I argue in relation to the net idols is that um, I use it as an example to show how women became um, became conduits for developing platforms because they were the ones who produced the content and um, venture, venture capitalists tended to be men in Japan the people people who actually had the money were able to raise the capital to develop these platforms. But what women did was that they produced content and by producing content, they attracted fans to, um, to their sites. And then the way venture capitalists, uh, entered the picture was that they were thinking, wow, I mean, these are market, these are particular markets that could be sold to manufacturers, advertisers, uh, and, and and that way you know from content production you could produce profit why not actually employing workers so but but the women uh, it, it, very few of them were actually able to develop careers from these uh, from this from from a from a net idol career like the the one who I, whose career I analyzed the poet um, she works for her family business, and the other one still makes money from working for a um, for working for an advertising company. So um, it's rather that women put in all the work, which was kind of aspirational or hope labor, but they were not the ones who benefited from this. If if this makes sense,
1: did uh, the same thing uh, happen human, to their? Yeah, go ahead. Did the same thing happen to their their blogging? Um, websites as well,
0: the issue about human capital is that the digital economy exploited women's labor through um, the the idea so the, the idea of human capital development were essential to to um, exploiting uh, women's labor because human capital originally is an idea that uh, investment in education uh, would improve imp- employabil- employability right but the neoliberal version of human capital development is 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 a theory that emphasizes more the the speculative nature of of investment this idea that whatever you do whatever you invest uh, labor and time into might appreciate or might depreciate your human capital and because of that you have to make good choices about how you appreciate your your human capital so the underlying message here is that um success or failure entirely depends on you which is a very neoliberal idea right that that you know the idea that uh, Unemployment is voluntary because there's always work, and if you don't want to work, that means you don't want to work. Uh, and it, and it kind of offers a totally depoliticized approach to, to identity, subjectivity, and it under um, underplays uh, structural or patterned forms of inequality, um, and and the idea of social mo- social mobility. So in the context of blogging, what blogging pl- platforms promoted was this idea that everyone had a unique personality and that uniqueness could be transformed into content, right? And because of that, it, it was that you could learn something, you could just read these self-help books and you develop your unique personality and, and then you, you become a blogger and you transform that, that would become your, your, your content. Uh, so the proposition was that everyone had an equal chance to succeed in the digital economy which I call uh, technological utopianism, or you know, simply put, that everyone is a potential Mark Zuckerberg. Um, but that's really not the case because um, not everyone has the time and the resources to create that killer food blog or fas- especially fashion blogs, right? Which you need an awful lot of money to uh, create a successful fashion blog. So what I found in Japan was that, ironically, most famous bloggers—many um, of the most famous bloggers—actually came from um, wealthy backgrounds, because they were the ones who had the time and the energy to experiment, to to experiment with a new technology. Many of the people who actually succeeded were first adopters of the technology so they just um, and so in that chapter uh, what i try i'm trying to do is that i'm trying to problematize this idea that everyone is a potential mark zuckerberg because that's clearly not true and at the same time emphasize that by selling that dream or selling that idea or promoting that idea platform owners are able to extract surplus value from women who produce the and and it was who produced content hoping to become famous bloggers. And I'm saying women because um in Japan, of course, there are a lot of lot of um men bloggers as well, but uh women tended to tended to outperform men in terms of popularity, and there were a lot more of them uh than men bloggers. But curiously, and this is actually ironic that just like in the case of um, online traders, bloggers who are able to make money from this career make money not from affiliate advertising, but by writing self-help books about, or tutorials about how to become a famous blogger, which I find really ironic. And then those books were mainly written by men, not by women. So women produce the content, and by producing content for a blogging platform like Amoeba, they... Enhance the brand value of the platform. Um, they draw advertisers to the uh, um, to the platform, so they produce profits for the platform owners. But uh, many, m- very few of them succeed as bloggers, right? And um, and then the ones who write the blogging tutorials are are not are not the women, which is ironic. So it's it's about that. But but that is how that is what I mean by saying that. That the idea of um, of uh, human capital development was essential to um, mobilizing women to free labor and then using that labor to expand uh, Japan's digital economy. Just this idea that human capital uh, is is speculative and anyone can do it.
1: That is yeah. so fascinating and strangely what you describe about human capital sounds a lot like grad school and academia but um i guess that's not the point so in the next chapter your focus shifts to online trading which you'll mention Mm. is a more sensitive area because of the limitations by japanese law and a lot of women are participating in online trading but um like just like the blogging platforms the trading industry is still largely male-dominated. Um, we talked about uh, a bit of why, um, how women um tend to have to um like the net title or blogging. They have to maintain a full-time job during the day, and then they come home to do this. But um, what are some of the, I guess, social cultural contexts that's behind this uh online trading? that Mm -hmm. that failed to make women the leading members of this industry yeah
0: that's an excellent question and that is it it was an interesting chapter it's interesting how these different chapters came together because i I think that came from a new york times article that i read about trading uh, japanese housewives trading and this kind of japan bashing tone that oh the housewives are now japanese housewives now are having an impact on the global economy and it's like what is happening there and then i started interviewing them and uh, what i learned was exactly what i learned in the context of of um the the um blogging uh, uh trend that that the the most famous um women traders actually made money from, not from trading, but from writing books about how to become a successful trader, which I thought, what is happening here? But to answer your question, I wonder if there there isn't a parallel between the word of chefs and the word of traders that, you know, professional chefs often are men, but, um, but the th- the, the individuals or the family members who cook at home are more like, are, are rather the women. And in, 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 the, in trading, um, in the context of trading, there's something, something similar. Um, so I wonder if it has to do with the public-private divide um, because in Japan, women um, were encouraged to, so as women were inc- encouraged to use these online platforms, the idea was that now that you uh, now that these online platforms are available you can use um smaller m- amounts of money to start building a portfolio and start doing day trading or stock trading online um but my understanding is that most uh, most women could barely break even so it's it's not that that this was uh, you know on- online trading was a way to make money it, it was just uh, you know some made a little money, most didn't a, a lot of them squandered the savings. Uh, so it was deceptive and but your question was about why uh, why it is that women did not because what I argue in the chapter is that although there was this so-called um, women trader phenomenon and and women wrote books about online trading and encouraged their fellow, Homemakers to um, be involved in trading. Um, that doesn't mean that um, these women paved the way to other women, or for other women to an inroad, inroad, or paved the way for these women to the to the professional um, professional trading, or like the. It, it, so it's not that women not had had the, had a better chances to be professional brokers. Because um, often the women who wrote the the uh, the, um, the tutorials emphasized, and that's another ironic uh, aspect of all this, that this is online trading is something anyone can do, and they kept saying how stupid they themselves were, and they which wasn't true. I met some of them, and they were really bright people. But but you know in in order to sell the idea to other homemakers to buy the book and to 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 kind of draw them to online platforms trading platforms, they had to kind of uh present themselves as the the kind of the tadano shufu or what I call them like the. The housewife from the next house, which um, and then they kept saying how stupid they were, but that kind of also undermined them in some ways, if that makes sense. So there were all these kind of contradictions that women who wrote these books couldn't better, meet, uh, mediate. Um, so in some ways they undermined themselves; in other ways, by emphasizing that they were homemakers, uh, and they try to com- They also try to comply with. Um, conventional expectations that a middle-class woman's place is in the home. And uh, so they, you know, when they, inter- when they gave interviews, they emphasized that, Oh, I only do trading uh, ten- for 10 minutes a day because, because I don't want it to interfere with my, with my children's schedule. And it's like, no, you can make that much money if you only do trading for 10 minutes. That's odd, a lie. Right. But so, because, you know, and I mentioned this in the chapter, too, that the conservative um kind of conservative pundits did attack these women, that, that they should they should be focusing on their children's education. They should not um destroy the basis of a manufacturing ba- of a, of a kind of an economy that is based on. On hard hard work and the idea of hard work and everything that is the opposite of financial speculation, which of course I agree that's volatile and that's not necessarily good. But these women were attacked by conservative pundits, and because of that, they kind of they defended themselves as no, no, they understood that they were housewives and they were stupid because on and on and on, right? So I think that 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 these were important factors why women who who wrote. tutorials about online trading were not able to kind of undermine the gender inflexibility in the finan- in the financial sector and did not open uh, doors for other women to become professional brokers because i don't think that happened
1: it's still yes, a heavily male dominated industry yeah, and that's um in a way said to witness. Um mm-hmm. uh, now chapter five of your book looks into cell phone novelists, which might be a mm-hmm. very unique phenomena in Japan. Since when did women become interested in cell phone novelists and why cell phone? Why not um other ways? Mm-hmm. And what 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 um when there are more and more online platforms available for women to write and publish on. How has this phenomenon of cell phone novelists transformed?
0: That's a, that's a very good question again.
1: So my understanding
0: is that, um, cell phone novels actually appeared in other countries as well. Um, but there are also the cell phone novel phenomenon started before, um, online novel platforms were developed so uh, what happened was that th- these were originally posted on this diary type of site or whatever grew out of diary sites um it, novel novel sites and then they, they then became cell phone novels so why cell phone novel first or, or why cell phone why the medium and i mentioned earlier maybe before i get i get to that um there are um cell phone not cell phone novel but there are novel platforms um international like wattpad for instance that i've heard of or uh web novel uh but in japan um Although chronologically, this doesn't work now that I think about it, because these were developed much uh, much more recently. So maybe, maybe let's go back to Japan and uh, this let's start with this idea of why cell phone, what you asked. Um, so what I mentioned earlier was that it, so the cell phone itself is kind of an intimate medium, and it has to do with commuting, like uh, that. uh, many Japanese people spend a lot of time on commuting and they they kind of want to make that a little bit less uh, boring and alienating. Um, So what's unique about the technology is, uh, or maybe the genre is this idea to use small flip phones to write novels because they were not even the larger tablet-like cell phones and they were written, the original cell phones were written on and we're talking about um the 2000s mid 2000s they they were written on these flip phones and there were arguments um uh, about whether they could be written on computers or whether some cell phone novelists actually cheated and they wrote theirs on on um uh, on computers and the editors I talked to said that no, you cannot write them on on um computers because the kind of the flow would be different. that like the technology itself determined the literary style, and this is not something because you can all only, only write um only write short sentences. And some of them even said that by the, by the time they finished writing a couple of chapters or a chapter, their fingers were bleeding. I, I don't know how that, I never tried to write. I, they, I literally read that, and this was not something that only I, I heard once. So, um, but, but, but what I'm saying is that there was a connection between the technology itself and the literary style. And it had to be short sentences. And one thing that I didn't do much work on in the chapter was this idea that that you know what the cell phone novel did to the literary establishment itself. Give me a second; I lost my train of thought. So, like, yeah, the connection between the connection between the cell phone technology and and the language itself. That sometimes I you know when I read a, a paper. That is not well written on undergraduate paper it's like did you write it on your cell phone right so it's um it, it, that's but but it was intentional it was intentional because often what cell phone novelists did was that they bought themselves and they perpetuated this idea of technological utopianism because they made this argument that that you know the cell phone and the internet uh, were technologies that enabled anyone to write a novel. So they, in many ways, they attacked the literary establishment itself, that it was no longer about uh, educational pedigrees and uh, and about uh, apprenticeship and whatever, but you could do it. And, and often they were popular because um, they were awkward. They were not well-written. They were full of grammatical infelicities but that made them more accessible because it also it, it kind of perpetuated the same idea of technological utopianism that if this became famous then i could write one too right? if that makes sense and then um it, you know some uh, some like uh, mahuno airando or magic island um by by the mid 2000s it had like a million novels so it's it's a lot of people a lot of people tried um let me see. so scholars did suggest that the cell phone is seen as an intimate technology and 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 the young women used to customize their cell phones um, far beyond choosing you know uh, covers for them, right? You remember those little hanging things uh, from them. they use them um, they use them to wake them them up. Uh, often people argue who read cell phone novels argue that um that. It makes a difference how you read that, that you can't just read them anywhere. So it's kind of a ritual and you can just read them on the train, for instance. Um, and um, I'm, I'm sorry, I need to I need to ask you to help me uh, with the question that the question was about the, the relationship between a literary form and the technology or why this technology
1: yeah, and how how has uh how has mm. how has this phenomenon of cell phone novels transformed when yeah. we have more and more platforms? Yeah, yeah. to write and publish on.
0: Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much. Um, uh, for the clarification, we do, but that's not a cell phone anymore. Because I think that's then the really the answer is that that there is a very intimate and close connection between the literary form and the technology. when you start writing a cell phone novel on a computer that's no longer a cell phone because the rhythm the rhythm of the sentences is not the same and I uh, only only I, I actually asked uh, uh, some of the uh, editors that I interviewed at Starts and um, Takeshobo and um, I asked them like because most uh, safu novels are anonymous and I asked them like isn't it possible that some of you actually write these novels and he told me, one of them flat out told me that there's just no way they could do it. Because it has to be a flip phone, it has to be so I I don't know. I, I, I and I and I also have to admit that I did not follow I did not follow up on what happened to cell phone novels uh, in Japan. So I d I don't know how the, how the form changed.
1: But, but so... there
0: was an insistence. There was an insistence that the, the real authentic cell phone novel has to be written on a, a flip phone
1: yeah that's so interesting. I guess the only way to find out is for me to read some of these phone <laughs> novels. Have um. you seen because you know they're
0: published, and that's how phone novelists, the ones who became uh famous um made money because um advertising is one is one one way to. To make money from platforms, but the real money is in uh, getting the book published. That some of some of it sold uh, one or two million copies, oh. and fans say that that they they buy them because because of the emotional attachment to the story, so they want to own the book themselves. But it's interesting how they are printed, like the paper is different and the font uh, color is usually not black, and so they try to kind of. Even the book format tries to um, depart from the from the traditional uh, traditional book format.
1: Yeah, that is very interesting. And just like how big social media companies in the U.S. have created mm-hmm. numerous social problems, um, Japanese digital economy also contributed to issues such as uh, inequality and pay gap. Uh, can you elaborate on this point a bit more? What are some of the um, problems and what, what are some potential solutions to these problems? And by pay gap, you mean, um, what exactly do you mean? Oh, uh, so in your book, you mentioned how uh, women, there are people oh, yeah. in for net idols, for bloggers, who self, for cell phone novelists, there are women who, women who are contributing to these contents. But some don't get as successful as their fellow women writers. And sometimes um, all these achievements are just taken by men. That's right. And women, so financially, they're not really gaining according to the amount of time that they're putting. Yeah, this is a
0: great question. I'm not sure how to answer it because this is one of those... uh, questions that you would need to look at it's ongoing right like because to me the question is and it's a very good question in the sense also in the sense that that i'm wondering um so the reason why i can't answer the question is that um i imagine that some of these women who became famous uh through through developing digital um, D- DIY careers in the digital economy might actually help alter perceptions uh, that that you know women are not as efficient as they could be. Or I'm thinking about something like Augustava Yuko's work about office ladies, that in which um, is is a book I like a lot. In, in which he argues that the problem with um, systemic uh, gender discrimination um at Japanese corporations is that it's very difficult to mount a kind of unified protest or resistance against them. So often women are involved in um what Oga Savara calls like off stage resistance. Um they jam the copier and they slow down work. But but that kind of that form of resistance reinforces stereotypes that women are not women are not responsible and they are not committed to work. And I'm thinking that the couriers uh, some of these uh, famous um, digital entrepreneurs women entrepreneurs developed um, might also um, defy the, the conceptions that women are not committed to work and and might 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 kind of um, inspire changes in how, uh, women as workers, or women as uh, individuals who are interested in developing careers, are seen are seen in Japan. And and of course, this you know in Japan there's a problem with uh, population decline, and uh, and the the um, Abes Viminomics, or or. Uh, what is it, womenomics or whatever it, wh- whatever Abe called it? Uh, this idea that women need to be incorporated in the labor force in uh he- larger numbers because Japan still has very inflexible immigration policies and and labor labor is an issue. But the question is, yeah, women have been participating in labor force, but in kind of flexible, uh, flexible ar- in in arrangements in ways in which. They've had a hard time seeing work as something meaningful or something that is a is a source of self growth right because they were largely throughout the postwar period they were largely marginalized from um courier stream employment so I wonder if that kind of changes but also these internet based couriers um they also destabilize the idea that what constitutes a courier that it's not the kind of uh um, n- not the kind of career that you apply for in April and you start working for a corporation and then start moving up the corporate ladder. That's like there are other careers that you can make for yourself. So in that sense, uh, you you hope that some of those changes will happen, but who knows? Who knows? Uh, I think the, the the argument I tried to make in the book was that in uh, digital labor is gendered. And how digital labor um, how the digital economy, what opportunities the digital economy provides for its men and women users uh, is is not the same everywhere. it's uh, and then this whole idea of technological utopianism um is very tricky. Thank you if, if, that, if that makes sense
1: yeah, i I definitely hope um to see changes brought by such a uh, digital economy that's led by women and how they I, I i look forward to see it transforming the idea of working in japan mm-hmm. um in the future but thank you so much again for joining us today i'm sorry if we went over time
0: i i apologize
1: no no we're totally thank you fine. so much thank you so thank much you. thank
0: you so much for the opportunity
1: and listeners, mm-hmm. if you're interested in finding out more about women and digital labor in Japan, make sure to check out Invi- Invisibility by Design, Women and Labor in Japan's Digital Economy by Dr. Gabriela Bukach. This is Jeannie from New Books in Japanese Studies. Stay tuned for our next episode.